These days, the LAPD is on an offensive to prevent crime. Its latest weapon is a computer program that can actually predict where crimes will happen. These crime prediction boxes come from the same kind of mathematical calculation used to predict earthquakes and aftershocks. Welcome to the future, folks. Police are getting closer to predicting crime using an algorithm. The system tracks and pinpoints crimes up to the minute, then spits out detailed maps, daily forecasts, showing where new crimes are most likely to crop up. The main aim of the Congress is to discuss how can our physical body evolve and how can consciousness evolve. It is very important because now we are facing the time where unconscious evolution period uh, has almost finished and we come to the new period of controlled human evolution can happen. I think that main efforts of their scientists and main technological progress will be concentrated on their making new body for the human being. You're listening to Canary Cry Radio. Now here are your hosts, Basil and Gons. Hey everybody, thanks for tuning in to another episode of Canary Cry Radio. If you're tuning in from Twitter, Facebook, or found your way through uh, YouTube or Revelations Radio Network uh, or your RSS feed, thanks for tuning in. Um, We really appreciate your attention right now. Um, And if you didn't tune in from Twitter, Facebook, or YouTube, uh, make sure to go follow us on Twitter at Canary Cry Radio or Facebook, just search for Canary Cry Radio. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Do it. <laughs> All right. Busted that one out. Yeah, that was awesome. Um, well, that was Basil, and this is Gons. And uh, a little tired, been up for a while, but, uh, you know, things are good. What am I supposed to talk about here? All right. Uh, guests. Guests. That's right. Yeah. Um, we're going to have some guests. I'm, there's a couple people who have asked us about having guests and um, I have emailed some people and they are totally willing to come on. Uh, And so we will have guests in the future. Uh, We just got to Basil and I just pretty much have to get organized enough to uh, (laughs) scheduling issue. Yeah. To make things happen. So uh, stay tuned for that. We will definitely have people on and um, that's part of something we plan to do, but we wanted to kind of establish, you know, what we're about before we, you know, jump into right. having other guests and stuff like that. So, right. Yeah. And, um, also with, uh, the last episode, we talked about Dave's story, <clears throat> his ghost pictures. And, um, he sent me a couple more pictures, um, that he wanted me to post. So what we're going to do is, uh, just to update the last post from, um, the last episode from Canary Cry Radio episode four and in the show notes, we will uh, put some of those pictures in there so you guys can check them out. And uh, Some more things to mull over when you're uh, thinking about the ghost stories over on episode four there. Yeah. Um, so I think we're just going to get right into it. I don't know who has um, heard about this or have been seeing some of the stories on this, but it is a little thing called predictive policing. And that's something that... You all probably just thought of uh, the movie Minority Report with Tom Cruise and the... uh, The psychics in the goo. (laughs) Exactly, the gooey psychics. (laughs) If you have not seen the movie, go watch it. It's a good movie. 
Um, and it uh, definitely explains some of the problems with predictive policing. Here's the rundown. Um, LAPD started doing this a little while ago, and I guess a few other um, communities are starting to check it out. But what it is is uh, a program, an analytic program, that has compiled data from uh, past crimes throughout the city and sort of lays them out on a map and uh, points out what are called hotspots. And I'm sure you all can figure out what these mean. And what they're trying to do is um, place assets, in their words, or cops, in my words. Um, five O's. Five O's. Where the crime will be before it happens. All right? It sounds like a perfectly um, innocent thing. And I, I'm sure it is an innocent thing. But there are obviously some... Um, some big problems with this. Now let's take a step back. On a, a website called policechiefmagazine.org, this is a, well, it's exactly what its name says it is. It's a magazine, online magazine about all sorts of policing things, and you, know, you can go check it out. There's some interesting stuff. And but Total Recall Corporation. <laughs> Just reading some advertisements on the, uh, yeah. on the site there. Yeah, so <laughs> go check it out if you're into that, I guess. <laughs> but anyways, so they have a, this really long article on uh, predictive policing. And I guess this is just a big thing that you know they're really trying to push and figure out. Um, I'm going to start out by saying this article is just torture to read. And not because it's poorly written, but because they had some wordsmith go through and just babble in just the most complex language that you can think. I, now, I think there's 30 paragraphs and about 16 references that are exact, made in this, uh, in this little article here. Exactly. It is such a complicated piece of literature. And I, 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 the words used, the language used is so, more, so much more complex than it needs to be. I mean, you read this thing and you're reading it and i mean over and over and over you're hearing um phrases like oh my gosh let me see here analysis and tactical strategy planning and and uh multi-jurisdictional collaborative assets uh evolving from comprehensive computer statistics accountability enabling police <laughs> practitioners or something it's that basically 30 paragraphs of just a, a thesaurus vomited onto this page. Okay, that's enough bashing the thing. I should, I should, I should, <laughs> we should I'm back sure, off on that. I'm sure, the, I'm sure the writer's a really nice guy. But my point is, when you start to read this thing, you start to notice you're just reading the same thing over and over and over. And they make it sound so complicated and so complex and so advanced that you sort of get lost in this headspace of like, oh man, this is really some high-tech stuff. But let me tell you, uh, if you do some more research, basically they just take some, um, the, some records from the past and they put it into a Google Maps thing and it just points out where the hot spots have been in the past. All right. So that's what it is. And it now, predicts kind of uh, where a crime might occur. Yes. What it's meant to do is show hot spots where crimes will be occurring and so where you can put your assets, quote unquote, or cops um, in order to 
prevent any sort of crime. And like I said, it sounds like a perfectly innocent thing. That's great. I'm all about preventing crime. Don't get me wrong. But what's wrong with what's happening is it makes me very uncomfortable in the sense that now you have a cop or cops rolling through, and some of these spaces are like 500 feet by 500 feet. They can be very small areas. Now you have cops who are already on edge. As we've seen before, cops are now trained to act as if everything is a life and death situation. That is a common police practice now, which which is already a dangerous thing and has caused so much trouble for a lot of police departments. And it's just not it's just not safe having people with guns on edge all the time. But now you have them rolling through 500 foot stretches of neighborhood just expecting something to go wrong. Right. Just and and I mean you can imagine if this one area is is known is a hot spot for home break-ins or something like that. Well, you have these cops you know, rolling down the street and there's a guy on a ladder cleaning out his gutters. Well, it it's just these cops will be now so on edge that as they see a guy on a ladder trying to get on the roof and it automatically turns into a home break-in situation. Like, you, you can just imagine the sort of paranoia that this is going to be creating. Now, like I said, it's not that the whole predictive policing thing is necessarily a well okay i'll say it's a bad idea i think it's a bad idea um but well, i can i can see how it's a natural progression in, into what they're trying to do well they should have kind of checks and balances they <clears throat> should have ways to you know and i'm sure to some degree they already have this where yes there is a potential of a crime but you know scan the area use your judgment you know don't just assume that the, that whatever's going on is a crime i mean i don't i don't know to what extent i didn't read the whole thing the whole uh you know 300 paragraphs of this article but does it mention anything like that in there or is it just kind of right well of of course they explain like of course these cops are briefed and and you know they're supposed to be trained to be thinking clear-headedly and things like that but really the truth is that that is not always the case now now, another issue with this that I see is now that the public knows that this is happening, I mean, the smart criminals are just going to go to other places that aren't hotspots because we know that the cops are going to be, or the assets are going to be focused on these hotspots. Right. And the whole reason for this is because budget cuts, you know, things like this, they're trying to do more with less of a police force. Yeah. All right. Which again, I'm not blaming these guys for this. I'm just saying now. So we know there's less cops. Now we know that they're all going to be pinpointed on these hotspots. Well, if I'm a smart criminal, I'm just going to go to something that I know isn't, isn't a hotspot. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, it's just, there's just so much wrong with it. And in my experience and in my opinion, it's, just naturally going to be putting um, it's just going to be causing problems with innocent people and that's something that I really do have a problem with I mean we already have harassment and and whether we like it or not racism does exist in the United States and 
And there are things like this going on, and this is just going to be another level to um, the whole contention between the public and the police. Um, and, and I just see it as a big problem. Now, we talk about the movie Minority Report, and it's funny because everywhere you look trying to research this stuff, you see they, they reference Minority Report. Always. Always. Every single time. And it's, it's funny because Minority Report was about why this doesn't work. Okay. Yeah. And so you, you read it, for instance, on the Police Chief magazine. In 2002 movie, Minority Report may create the impression that predictive analytics will be used to target individuals inappropriate for future crimes or bad acts that they may commit but have not. It is important to note predictive policing in any public safety resource or tool must be used legally and ethically. Oh, yeah, because, I mean, every time the cops take action, it's always legal and it's always ethical. Right. The analytical methods used in predictive policing model do not identify specific individuals. Rather, they surface a particular times and locations predicted to be associated with increased likelihood of crime. Okay, we get it. All right. It, it's just so obvious that we're, of course, we don't think that you're picking a single person out. You know, it seems like now I, I, I'm a com communication major. And so I understand what they're doing here. You know, you pick out where somebody might, um, might try to make a point against you. And then you make an argument about it before they can even get to it. But what happens here is it's not even the problem. <laughs> they just bring it up right. because that's what the movie was about. Right. Okay. We don't even think it's insulting to me that he thinks that I think that they're going after individuals. I know they're not going after individuals. Right. <clears throat> and you think about what are these hotspots going to be? I mean, the hotspots are going to be urban. I mean, most likely ethnic. Um, yeah. Inner cities, gangs, um, high the things, the places that cops should already be, or not should, but are already there. Yeah, you know, it's not like cops haven't known about hotspots. Yeah, you know, that's that's the, another thing that blows my mind is they think that this is oh now we know hotspots because we have put records into a computer. You should already know what the hotspots are. <laughs> yeah, the the one thing that really jumped out at me in this article was. Uh, this you know they they go on and on about this intelligent led policing and they call it ILP and the author of this article just clearly states it can be traced back to a single event the 9/11 terrorist attacks on the United States and so Gosh. it's it's just another way of uh, another you know step in what is happening to this country because of what happened in 9/11. And, you know, Minority Report came out in 2002, if I'm not mistaken, right? So right after, after. the whole September 11th thing, right. and it's just, I don't know. There's just, you know, my conspiracy brain just, just goes off when I read exactly. stuff like that. Exactly. It's directly related to 9-11. To, uh, to, uh, now, taking that step, we can um, take a look at another thing. Um. The pre-crime stuff? The more pre-crime stuff, the DHS documents yeah. on FAST. 
It's called FAST, F-A-S-T, Future Attribute Screening Technology. Now, this goes along the same lines, people. So it's, it's about um, predicting and uh, stopping crime before it happens. But the problem is the Department of Homeland Security is looking at it at an individual level. Let me read you just um, a few things here about what they're, what they're looking at. A remote cardiovascular and respiratory sensor to measure heart rate and respiration, which allows for the calculation of heart rate, um, heart rate variability, respiration rate, and respiratory sinus arrhythmia. Two, a remote eye tracker, which is a device that uses a camera and processing software to track the position and gaze of the eyes, and in some instances, the entire head of a subject. Most eye trackers will also provide a measurement of pupil diameter. So now we're looking at people's heart rates, and now we're looking at their breathing, and now we're looking at literally where they are looking with their eyes and the diameter of their pupils. Now, we have thermal cameras that provide detailed information on the changes in thermal properties of the skin and the face that will help um, assess electrodermal activity and measure respiration and the eye movements. A high-resolution video that allows for highly detailed images of the face and body to be taken so that image analysis can determine facial features and expressions and body movements and audio system for analyzing human voice for pitch change and other sensor types such as pheromone detection. Um, are also under consideration. So basically what we have here is um, a, a system. Technology. Technology. Yeah, exactly. A technological system put together to look at an individual in a crowd and figure out if they are uh, basically about to commit a crime. Okay. Now, we've seen this in movies before. All right. I mean, we've seen the TV shows. I think it's Lie to Me where he can look at people's faces and how they're acting and see what they're going to do or whatever. And the eye trackers, I mean, we saw that in Minority Report, um, the cardiovascular respiratory sensors and everything like that. This is all stuff that we've seen before in movies. Yeah. Well, now they're trying to actually apply it in real life to pre-crime, um, pre-crime uh, establishments. Now, the biggest problem that I have with this is it's so fun to watch in movies. It is really fun to watch in movies because the, they're always looking at the bad guy. You know, you can always see the bad guy and he's always the one getting caught by this. Right. But there's just so much wrong with the system. There's, it, I, I'm, if you're familiar with this or not, there's, there's things called hard sciences and there are things called soft sciences. Hard sciences are math. Uh, physics, things like that. Soft sciences, biology, uh, psychology, sociology. Well, what are the things that this is using? This, this system is looking at biology, looking at your respiratory rate, looking at everything else. It's looking at psychology, like looking at your eyes and, and um, your face and things like that. And sociology, they're looking at you in a, in a crowd of people and how you act. This is a system based on the three soft sciences, the sciences that have that you cannot always duplicate the same results. Yeah, that's, it, the whole, that's the whole point about them. Yeah, and definitely it's it's basically a giant lie detector test that scans people 
in a crowd or in a large area. And I understand kind of the, the, uh, the way you want to implement something like this in a large crowd situation, but you know, a perfect, an example of what, of how this cannot work is, you know, for example, I mean, uh, an airport, you know, an airport's a really good, uh, example because say you're in line to get on an airplane, you're, you haven't been on an airplane in a very long time, um, or never before you get closer and closer to a checkpoint or, you know, the place where you got to move your luggage and you start getting nervous and your heart rate goes up and you kind of start, you know, your body temperature rises, your, you know, your eyes kind of do whatever, all these things that are signals, quote unquote, for, you know, pre-criminal activity. Right. And, you know, the police pull you aside or, you know, run out and grab you, whatever happens. I don't know what the procedures are, but. Exactly. Then you're a target and you get pulled, pulled out of the, the line and then you miss your plane because you were nervous about it. Right. And, and, and just think if people knew that they were being scanned, I mean, and knew that it was possible. It's just, it's going to make it worse. <laughs> it just stresses everybody out. Yeah. And one thing that um, is interesting too, is that uh, if, if and again, I'm not a big Facebook guy, but I heard recently that to sign on to Facebook, you have to, uh, it, it forces you to kind of pick or, or identify some of your friends or something. I don't know if you've had to deal with that or not, but if you have, um, it's quite possible that you know some of the the database for this kind of technology is being rounded up through things like Facebook, where there are pictures of people's faces and you know whatnot. Where you know basically by identifying it, you're you're confirming who these people are for this database. And you know we've talked about the Utah database and where they can collect all this data. It's quite possible that they're just you know, gathering all this information, having, um, you know, cause obviously we're just a, a number to the elite, you know, we're just a social security number. So. Well, right. Well, right. And another thing is I just got my, my driver's license redone a little while ago and they took a face, a facial scan of me and I had to look into this thing and I couldn't smile and they actually scanned my face and it made me, <laughs> wow. I mean, you can, you can <laughs> guess out there that that would make me uncomfortable and I was very uncomfortable <laughs> with that, but I mean, I just, I couldn't get a, couldn't drive without it. And so it's just things like that. And, um, and I mean, going back to the, the fast that, uh, the, uh, future attribute screening technology is, um, I mean, People like agoraphobics or something who yeah. are generally going to be nervous in crowds or whatever, or you just have people. I mean, it's just there's just so many flaws with it. I, I mean, ah, we probably don't even need to talk about it anymore. It's so obvious, demonstrably flawed um, yeah, so system, just in concept, not even in in execution yet. Because right. they are they are testing it in certain places. They have admitted that they're testing it not in airports, but something like that. And so it's happening right now. Yeah, and I think I think they in 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 that instance about you know where they have tested this fast technology, um, and uh, I think it was I can't remember what CNET or or somebody asked uh, the DHS you know directly like where have you guys te tested this and. Um, the DHS basically responded like, oh, you know, we're doing it in the public. We're, we're, we're doing it in an undisclosed location in the public. 
And, you know, they kind of poked a little harder, like, really, you're doing it without knowing, uh, with the, without the public knowing about it. And the DHS came back with, oh, no, no, we're using volunteers. So yeah, <laughs> it's, it's kind of I a mean, mixed story there that they're, you know, so who knows, it, it could be happening to you at a bank or, a, you know, who knows? I know. Well, exactly. And, and the thing is, they... They talk about how it's in preliminary stages of research and there are no plans. Well, I mean, this is actually their exact quote. I'm reading it. Uh, is only in preliminary stages of research and there are no plans for acquiring or deploying this type of technology at this time. Okay. So at this time, while you're researching it, there's no time. Like, there's no... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for telling me that. Like, it's just the okay. So when you finish the research, how about then? Then where are you going to put it? You know, and I mean, it's not even a question that needs to be answered. Obviously, it's going to be in airports and things like that. It's going to be all over airports, but, stadiums, uh, concerts, things like that. All sorts of uh, all sorts of things that the places where large crowds gather and. And uh, I think that there was a, a YouTube video that I that I watched that um, I don't think I linked to, but basically, they the, it was a DHS promo type of video that came out a year or so ago that shows basically did this experiment where uh, they had people and basically what the DHS was promoting was like this mobile, uh, you know, mobile I don't know what to call it like a station that you can set up in anywhere any public location where people walk through it and they asked people to, you know, purposely smuggle things and, you know, just tested their, you know, what happens to them physiologically, you know, to see if they, if the system can catch those people. Right. So, I mean, those were controlled tests, but I'm sure that they are trying to somehow um, test it on a larger scale in a more, uh, you know, a more real life situation. So. Right, right. Well, I mean, that's exactly the thing. And sure, you can test people you give something to smuggle and play your little war games. Right. But when you take it into a public place and not you, not only do you may have criminals, you may not, but you have people who are having problems and they are living their lives. Right. I mean, you have somebody who is in a fight with their wife or they just exactly. found out they're cheating on them and these physiological things are happening and now on top of being cheated on and divorced, they're getting pulled aside because they think they're some sort of criminal. About to it's, commit a crime. Exactly. It's a pre-crime, pre-crime nightmare. <laughs> so and I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I, was, I mean, I was just going to say just one more time in summation is that, you know, it makes sense to try to stop crime before it happens. It makes sense. I get it. But the, it's just the basis of what, is the, what this is happening is, is so mushy. It's just like taking a couple balls of Play-Doh, smushing it together, and calling it a security system. It just doesn't make any sense to me. It's, it's just for the exact reason that it's going off of just these soft sciences that you cannot predict at 100%. Right. Well, I think one of the things that is going to be important to talk about with this topic is how are we going to respond as people, uh, as a community, as, as people of, you know, just as part of this nation and, and this world, how, how do we respond to something like this? Because 
the way technology is developing, and and we didn't mention at the top of the show what we're talking about with um on the show, which basically, obviously, the first thing is the the whole preventative crime thing. But um, secondly, we're going to talk about some of this uh, transhumanist stuff that's going on with this last conference. Um, but how 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 are we going to respond when these <clears throat> technologies become so ingrained into our society? It's going to change the way we behave. Uh, this is basically a panopticon. And if you don't know what a panopticon is, essentially what it is is um, uh, a, a physical panopticon is where um, you have a central location where uh, a shooter or a gunman is stationed and all around are, are uh, basically prison cells. And the prison cell can see the tower in the center, um, but they can't see where uh, the shooter is coming from. So essentially what happens is people are going to start policing themselves. And right. when they when that happens, that's basically taking away our our freedoms, our, you know, just our public freedoms, at least, um, and, and private, too, in, in some regard. But Well, right. What, what exactly this is going to do, and I think may be a part of the larger picture. I mean, these are smart people. I'm sure they realize that they are working with some very shaky science here. Yeah. But I, I, the biggest part about it, and the really sinister part about it, when you think about it, is that what they're doing is they're creating a culture that you must live in fear. You're going to be walking on eggshells wherever you go, even if, I mean, it, it kind of reminds me of the movie Equilibrium, yeah. where where now you have, when you go out in public, you have to make sure not to be upset about your wife cheating on you. You have to make sure not to be too emotional uh, emotional about something because it's going to start setting off sensors and it's going to bug you. They're going to they're come going to come get you. So, I mean, it'll kind of force you while you're in public to kind of kind of have to be emotionless, which is like that movie Equilibrium. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, who knows? Who knows? I mean, what's better for a, a tyrannical uh, government than a population that when they're all out in public together, they're forcing themselves to stifle their emotions. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it. you know what I mean? It's just this whole thing turns into a spider web. Uh, everything is connected. And that's one of the things that a lot of people aren't understanding when I tell them about uh, like this, the DHS thing. They say, well, that's, man, that's really bad. That's crazy. But did you hear about this other conspiracy thing or whatever? Well, it's like, they're all connected. It's all yeah. part of creating this world that is controlled. It's all about controlling you, not only controlling your physical body or your actions, but controlling your thoughts, controlling your emotions, and controlling your fears. Yeah, and, and this is interesting too because this is a this is a very strictly fear based system that is, you know, police are there to protect you, but uh, you know. It, it's it's just a different psychological thing when you are uh, when you know that you're being watched. It's it just is, you know. I just I think you know. I, I know Basil, you've you're in a band. I don't know if you've played in front of people, but right. and I've been in a band before, and it's just different when you practice and when you actually step on a stage and you're in front of like a bunch of people. It's it's just oh, there's a there's a psychological thing that happens. There's a you know, and and so. 
Well, and I'm sure if this uh, this fast system was looking at me on stage, it would definitely think I was about to do something terrible. Oh yeah, I mean, just oh like, yeah, the, the physical response is exactly the, the what adrenaline and everything else that's that's going off in your body. The pheromones, the pheromones. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, so I, I think if anything, the, this is a topic that you definitely want to, uh, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah don't be a downer about it but just bring it up talk to people about it let them know that this kind of stuff is going on and so that you know at the very least people are able to kind of at least mentally prepare and spiritually prepare for this kind of thing that that you know ultimately if this is what's happening now i mean think about what our children are going to be faced with in you know a decade a couple decades you know it's just going to be a completely different world um, well, exactly. I mean, and and uh, the way I like to look at it, and I think I've mentioned this before, is when talking to people who aren't quite keyed into this and aren't quite open to it, it's I find it important to let them know because when it does start happening, and it does, it does, there will be incrementally more evidence for you to give them and more things for them to look at that they can look back and they'll be like, yeah, I remember you told me about that really gnarly security thing and now it's happening and what else do you have to say can you clue me in with some other stuff please and if nothing else that's what needs to be happening with your family and with your friends and things like that because um if they're not open to it now they need to be open to it when it starts to count and that's where just sharing with them, even in, in a non-threatening way, just give them the facts, give them these articles to look at and, and just talk to them about it. Yeah. And when, again, when stuff starts to happen, it won't be a surprise to you know a lot of us, but right. at the very least we will have prepared for a long time, actually at least talked about it, um, thought about things and, and, you know, we will be that, that person that, that, the community of friends and whatnot can turn to and just at the very least, you know, what else, like you said, what else do you know? What, you know, what can we do about it? And obviously there's not a whole lot we can do about it, but, um, oh, right. Right. Yeah. And just so everybody knows, make sure to check the show notes. We'll, we'll post all the videos and all the, uh, the sources for you to check out. We'll post the uh, police chief magazine and you can just have a bunch of fun <laughs> with that one. <laughs> Let us know if you get through all 47 paragraphs. Of the- <laughs> yeah, it's pretty gnarly, but it's awesome. Um, so, okay. So, uh, is there anything else you want to touch on no. that or? I think we're good. We'll, okay. <laughs> we'll we'll jump back and we'll try to make some connections if we have to, but I think we can move on. Yeah, and I think this next topic definitely will play a part in some of this uh, policing stuff that we've been talking about. But right. Um, so basically, uh, the topic here is um, well, it's transhumanism as as kind of a general consensus, but. We love our transhumanism. We love our transhumanism. Just keeping keeping you guys informed about what's going on out there with this whole movement. And um, in the February, uh, there was a big conference in Russia, in Moscow. It was called the Global Future 2045 Congress. I love how it's in Moscow. That yeah. just makes it <laughs> well. It's so going to be in, more awesome. It's going to be in New York next year. So oh, it'll it'll be. It I think you know. For for the people in the know here, I think we can start talking about this stuff because it's gonna it's gonna hit the U.S. next year big time. I think when 
they come to New York, it's going to be a big deal. So right. I, I just get the feeling that, um, you know, this is just a, you know, a preview of what's to come, at least in the States. Absolutely. Um, but basically what they did was they, they had a conference and, uh, you know, they brought people from all sorts of fields of cognitive sciences, robotics, um, you know, uh, but it was, it wasn't just about the sciences. They actually came together to talk, you know, philosophy, to talk sociology, um, how it changes the planetary civilization, uh, in light of this, you know, rapid change of technological development. Um, one of the things that they talked about was discussing, and this is a quote here, discussing strategic problems arising in a dynamically changing world and the potential for the appearance of a global or cosmic mode of thinking. And um, they had tons of speakers and workshops. Um, they had the world's leading physicists, biologists, anthropologists, sociologists, psychologists, all the soft sciences, philosophers, as well right. as uh, specialists in fields of big history, robotics, brain-computer interface, neurosciences, space technology. And so, you know, all these heady people getting together, talking about the future of mankind um, in light of the advanced technologies and sciences. And, and really, the, the topic was human enhancement, uh, the transhumanist uh, agenda or, or uh, hopes. And um, I, I just pulled out, I dug through a lot of these speakers. I didn't go through every single one. There was a lot of them. But I, I went through some of the ones that are probably more well-known or just had profound titles to their spe to their speeches. Um, right. And some of them were videos and some of them were um, uh, transcribed. And uh, I, got, I picked out six people and I picked out quotes. And so we can, I'm just going to, uh, we can stop and, you know, comment on various ones as we go through here, but they're, they're very interesting. And, uh, you know, I, I hope to just kind of shed light of what's going on out there. So, the right. first guy is uh, his name's Dmitry Itzkov. Uh, he is the general chair and founder of this global uh, future um, 2045 Congress event, and he's also the president of New Media Stars. Uh, he's a Russian dude, and in his talk, he basically um, wants to attain human immortality by the year 2045. I mean, he really thinks that this is possible. And he laid out his kind of agenda of how this is going to happen. Um, he really thinks that cybergenic uh, engineering is going to be the kind of the the stepping stone for this to happen. And um, actually, the uh, the introduction to this, to today's show, the second half of the introduction, the first half is like, you know, policing com quotes. But the second half was by this guy, Itzkoff. And um, he basically thinks that the next change, because we've been changing our environment for so long, for so many centuries, we've been, you know, the Industrial Revolution, the, right. you know, all these different uh, discoveries and, and advancements in technology and science have all been external or environmental. But now, now we have uh, acquired the ability to change us from the inside, change the human. It's time to actually evolve the human. And so that's kind of the the basis of where they're coming from, and they want to cybergenically engineer and fix the human body uh, and advance it. And so um, one of the biggest ways uh, that he thinks is, this is going to happen is first off by reverse engineering the human brain 
And what he believes is that by doing this, we're going to be able to upload our consciousness into different uh, machinery, different uh, ethers and, and, you know, the internet. And we've touched on this in the past. Um, but more on the sociological or, or kind of, uh, yeah, I guess sociological side of things, um, he, or I guess global side of things also, he, he thinks that a, comp- a healthy competition between um, nations in developing this technology is going to actually help because um, his point is that unlike in the past where there was an arms race, you know, between, cause he's Russian, he's talking about the U S you know, between U S and Russia, we had these, you know, the, this uh, arms race type thing going on space race, space race, yeah. all, all these things. And the space race was kind of, um, Oh, my voice kind of did a weird thing there. Uh, the space <laughs> race was kind of a, kind of a good thing, right? I mean, you know, yeah. I don't think that it was a bad thing necessarily. Yeah. So uh, he, along those same lines, he, he, you know, this guy, Itzkoff, his point is that, you know, it's going to be, it's for the first time, we're going to be actually competing for something that is going to benefit humanity. So that was his point. All right. And, um, and he, this guy's actually really big on demilitarizing all these advancements, which is kind of interesting uh, because he has, um, a project that he's working on called project avatar. And basically it's to create, you know, it is what it sounds like. It's to create a, a robot copy of a human, uh, that can be operated through a brain confu- computer interface. So basically the, the brain controlling a machine and, you know, having all the sensations and all these different things that are connected there. What's interesting is, um, that DARPA in the, in the States here, they also have a project avatar, but theirs is for a military purpose. They want to be able to, uh, you know, take the human being out of these uh, hostile situations and have these avatars go in and, you know, uh, carry out military missions and, you know, dangerous operations and things like that. Um, you know, right. and, and so, so, he, you know, this guy's a big advocate of like, hey, let's demilitarize it, make it cheap and available for everybody. So, <laughs> right. And this, and this is the guy who is talking about uploading our consciousness into, uh, computers basically. Well, yeah, um, he's one of them. He's not the, okay. the other, well, there's another guy that, okay. <laughs> that all right. We'll more, talk about that other guy. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you've seen the movie surrogate, I don't know if you've seen the movie surrogate, uh, have I you seen not, it Basil? Um, not me. well, it, it's, it's, um, I think it was one of those movies that could have been a lot better than, than it was. Uh, but essentially it's this whole idea of, you know, um, people having, um, you know, like, uh, an avatar type esque, you know, body that goes out into the public, but you never have to leave the house. Like you get into this like little chair and it kind of interfaces your mind to this machine. And what was really interesting though, was that, um, a lot of people use their own, like the own, their own image of who they, what they really look like, but you know, staying young or, or whatever, you know? Right. Um, but there's a scene in the movie that's really compelling. And I think this was the most compelling part of the film was, um, you know, they're out and about or whatever. And, uh, this guy runs into this woman and the person that was actually behind the woman was this like slobby guy, slobby (laughs) man sitting in his like chair at home or whatever. Right. So, you know, that's just, that creeped me out. And it was, that was the moment of like, wow, that is, 
It's sort of how the internet is right now, except for it's going to be out in social life. Right. It's going to actually be physical interactions. So right. that, yeah, that just, okay. Pseudo physical, I guess. Pseudo physical. Yeah. Um, uh, but anyway, so that, that, that's what this guy's about. Uh, he, but the most alarming aspect of his talk was just his, uh, zeal for attaining human immortality by 2045. That's not that long. long right. <laughs> you know. now, now what are his, what are his, uh, ways that he's talking about doing this? I mean, does he, can he medically keep the body alive forever or what is he talking about there? He, well, I think ultimately he is like everybody else that a lot of other people, uh, and uploading consciousness, if that's possible, that, right. that that's like the ultimate goal. Right. Um, but you know, they, they all kind of echo the same procedures of, um, implants than, you know, then the upload of the consciousness. And with transhumanism, I, I've, I've found that there's four real main categories. There is genetic manipulation. Right. There is implants or um, aesthetics, uh-huh. uh, which is, I think, going to be the first one that's really going to, gonna, you know, because that's the one where it, it actually helps people, uh, okay. people that have disabilities, people that have, you know, all these various kinds of things that hinder them. It's right. going to help them come up to par, basically. Uh, but the questions, the ethical questions is, you know, going beyond that because, mm-hmm. you know. Um, and then there's actually the social social media aspect of it, which you know kind of touched on with the surrogate type thing, where you know our, our social lives are going to change uh, when that kind of interface starts to happen. And these are all related, but I'm trying to you know organize it into thoughts. Right. Uh, and then the last one is actually interesting as well, and that's the pharmacologic or uh, yeah pharmaceutical implications, because um, with nanotechnology, with um, some of these uh, you know, new advances, you're starting to look at new drugs, new kinds of um, pharmaceuticals that are going to affect various aspects of a a person. Uh, For example, um, you know, there's the possibility that people have talked about a memory pill about, oh, you want to improve your memory. This is going to improve your memory because it's going to stimulate a certain part of your brain. Well, it sounds good. You know, I mean, there's kind of been stuff like that with, you know, fish oil and stuff like that. Right. The more disturbing side of it is, you know, they're trying to actually create stuff where, you know, it erases memory. So let's say you get in a, wow. a horrible car accident or something uh-huh. to erase that memory. You take a pill right after it happens and the actual memory of the event is erased. Wow. That's a little bit more frightening. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, um, you know, things like that. So, th- so the pharma- pharmaceutical end of it is also, I think, going to be... A very interesting conversation that that is going to develop over the next few years here. Absolutely. Um, let me move on here. This is uh, this next guy, Sergey Krichevsky. He is a PhD test cosmonaut, professor at the Russian Presidential Academy of National Economy and Public Administration. It's a pretty big title. Um, yeah, jeez. <laughs> pretty awesome dude, apparently. Um, Mm. this guy is very interesting because he's basically talking about how we're going to have to leave earth someday (laughs) that as humans evolve, we're just, you know, the planet's going to die. We're just going to have to move, you know, we're going to have to civilize in, in, in the cosmos eventually. Right. Um, and so that, that was kind of his main point. Um, but here, here's his quote here. He says, humans must change. If we want to survive on Earth, much less settle beyond our planet, we will have to become different. 
In what way? We will have to develop the techniques, the technology, perhaps to transplant our identity to other platforms. We, we must extend human life because it's in fact disgusting, embarrassing, and unfair to live for only 70 to 80 years, or even less when there are technologies available that allow you to expand, extend the lifespan to 200 to 300 years. Now, the first, right. the first thing that caught my attention was the fact that he said when there's technologies available that allow you to extend life to 200, 300 years. Yeah, is, no. Is it really available or is he just kind of speculating? You know, I mean, did he let the cat out of the bag a little early or is, you know what I mean? Is there something there where, because he seems pretty... Well, here's the thing is I, I feel if anybody is going to, to know that this technology exists, it's going to be these guys. These are the guys who are going to know about it. These are probably the guys doing it. Right. Now, what I think is interesting and why I think that we don't know about it or that it's being used you know, on the public today, you just tie that in with the whole um, – decreasing of the population, the push for that, for the one world government. Right. I mean, there's, we all know that there's a push to decrease the population. That's why we're all being poisoned. And that's why, you know, regulations are, are putting uh, psychotic drugs in our water and things like that. And that's a, that's a very real thing. Now, if suddenly this technology that sounds like it exists this came out and now everybody's living forever. This would totally put a, a wrench in the gears of um, the global elite and their plans for uh, decreasing the population. So that's why I think that we have not heard about it. But I think that I'm not surprised in the least that he knows about it and that it exists at all. Yeah, it's a very uh, alarming thing that he's hinting this because right. it's... Well, well, and one more thing is that I think it's funny um, because I, I'm not sure if he was thinking about exactly who he was saying it to. He right. was saying it to his colleagues. Right. You know, he's saying it to a group of people at this conference who probably all know that the technology exists as well. Right. But, you know, sometimes you just don't think about, oh, some people are going to put this on a podcast and it's going to be talked about across the world in America. Right. And, and it would explain why he's so kind of uh, infuriated about it. You know, it's, it's disgusting and embarrassing and unfair to only live 70 and 80 years when we have the technology to live longer. Right. It's just really bizarre. <laughs> it's obviously something he's passionate about. Yeah. He's probably not thinking um, long-term and half a world away when he said it. Right, right. When he, when he let the cat out of the bag. But anyways, continue. Yeah, so that, that's basically his what I found interesting about his little speech. Um, but, you know, it really does kind of reflect on some biblical truths about, you know, why is... You know, it, they obviously fear death. I mean, the, the Christians and religious folks always get accused of like, oh, you just fear death. It's a crutch. Right, but I mean, obviously, these people must fear death much more because right. they're working so hard to, you know, uh, you know, not die, basically. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I, I just think it actually proves, if anything, biblical truth about death. Um, but uh, did you have any thoughts about that, or are you? Well, yeah. I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's interesting that the people 
obviously these people have no concept of a soul or or maybe that's unfair to say but they might they, they might they but might. it's but it's, it's unlikely say, but if they're working towards this transhumanism they might not be in the same mindset as us being um, based on these ancient scriptures that were given to us, you know, long ago, right. who are now prophesying everything that's happening. So th- th- they see this as an expansion and a good thing for humanity. They don't see the whole picture. They don't see how these pieces are fitting into the puzzle. Right. So of course they're going to try to live forever. Yeah. Of course, if they don't think that they're already going to live forever, if they don't have a soul that's eternal, they're going to try to live forever because these are the guys who believe that that is the next step for humanity they're not okay with where humanity is right now yeah and from their worldview death is the end so they don't want this to end so absolutely sense um so that's that the next guy anders sandberg he's a researcher science debater futurist transhumanist and author now this is the gentleman that uh we actually um played a clip from he's got he's the guy that was interviewed in transhuman do you want to live forever and uh, i think a couple episodes ago we actually played the clip from the preview of that movie uh, where he talks about you know how he wants to wake up in a computer right um so you know he kind of talks about how um obviously the same kind of thing but uh uh let me read his quote here he says um uh, our biological conditions uh, as humans is certainly not bad it's nice to be human it's nice to be alive but we could be healthier, we can live longer, and there are various ways of doing that. But in the end, biotechnological means of extending human capacity are limited by the limitations of biology, and I do think that we are going to enhance ourselves using artificial means. At first, and this is kind of where he, I think he lays out the this plans. Is, this is great. This guy is this guy's in the face of all these other guys yeah. who are talking about who are talking about enhancing the human body to live forever and let's make this human body live forever. And this guy's in the face of these gentlemen saying, that's not enough. (laughs) Yeah, basically. And here's how he sees it. He goes, uh, at first there may be implants, but in the longer run, by transferring our consciousness to machines, if that's technically possible, and I do think this is a very important development Uh, that are going to affect our economy, our society, and our view of the world over this century. And I agree with him largely. I mean, I think it will affect our economy and our society and (laughs) the view of the world. I don't think anybody could argue with that. um, um, But it's interesting that he brings in that sociological aspect of, of, and at least I'm glad he understands that. (laughs) I'm glad he understands that this has an impact on those things. And he's not really clear whether... I mean, obviously, I think he believes it's it's going to be a positive uh, thing for humanity. Um, right. This this being the the transfer of the consciousness into computers. Yeah. The, yeah. Exactly. Right. And okay. Okay. Now, <laughs> do I have permission to to start this here? Yeah. Yeah. Go for it. Okay. Just, just, just go. On. So so a few episodes. Um, ago i if if you've been listening if not go back and check it out we talked about the soul catcher chip right all right the soul catcher chip implanted in the brain um attempting to record memories and being able to see everything um out of the host's eye right okay so now this guy is talking about first it will start with implants 
And then it will move on to actually uploading consciousness into electronics. Okay, so let's just start with the chip called Soul Catcher. Okay, you you, we, we talked about Soul Catcher a few episodes ago, and, and you, you know, the name kind of was a little strange, considering that, you know, it's really just catching memories, it's just catching your, right. you know, your visions and things like that. But now you think about this, connected with these guys, with this guy's statements, starting with implants, moving on to uploading your consciousness into a computer. Now, there's a lot about the beast. All right. If the you guys are Mark of the Beast, if you guys aren't familiar with that, it's, it's, um, uh, a biblical reference to, um, a mark that will be either on your hand or your forearm or your head or something like that, or your head yeah. implanted in your head <laughs> that, um, everybody will more or less be forced to do. And if you refuse, you'll be killed. And it's basically, um, uh, a, a tool of the Antichrist um, to be used for that. So now think about this. The soul catcher chip is in your head. It's recording your, your memories. It's recording everything. Now suddenly it comes across that now we're, it's time to upload your consciousness into the government's computers or the computer or whoever, or the one world government probably at this point. And, and so now... There is no death. Once your consciousness is in the computer of the leaders of this world, the ruler of this world, right. you, you cannot die on your own. You yep. cannot kill yourself. Now you're enslaved basically by this computer. Your consciousness is there eternally until it's erased by whoever's controlling it. Now, who's the ruler of this world? It's Satan. <laughs> Literally Satan. It will have your soul inside of a computer. Now, this is just my commentary. This is there's no this isn't written down anywhere, but this is just me connecting the dots. Right. You know? And so you you have this chip called the soul catcher. Yeah. And that moves into uploading your consciousness into a computer that you no longer are able to die. Your soul cannot be released. Your consciousness is in the computer. You're no longer able to go to heaven. And that's where we come into that. That was the whole thing when I was younger about, well, don't take the mark of the beast because then you're signing yourself to say, no, you know, you, you, that's the basis of the whole thing. Yeah. Well, you know, in your head, you're like, well, that sucks. Because then what? We won't be able to bank. We won't be able to buy or trade. Buy or trade. We won't be able to live in society. Why are we Christians not allowed to, to do that? I don't get it, God. Well, because it's not just about that. Now you are literally giving your soul to this computer that now you are no longer able to die. Your consciousness is no longer able to stop. And therefore, I mean, in the way that I see it, you can't go to heaven if you can't die. And so you're literally giving your soul to the ruler of this world. Yeah. And, and there's biblical scriptures that talk about, you know, uh, people will be seeking death, but not find it. And <sighs> I just think this is, this is just, uh, uh, I mean, you know, it, it also says in scriptures that, you know, knowledge will increase, biblical knowledge will increase as time goes on to, you know, closer to the end. And this could be one of those examples of like, 
you know, people in the first century weren't going to understand like computer consciousness upload. Like they're they're not going to get that. But as we kind of see stuff unfolding, uh, it's, I mean, it's interesting to speculate. We're not saying that this is what's going to happen, but uh, you know, in light of where technology is going, it's, I would say it's plausible. It's definitely a possibility. And it fits into my biblical understanding right, of, right. of what's going on. It connects dots that never made sense to me before. Yeah. And now looking at these things and gradually learning more about the reality of the world around us and where it is heading that are just lining up so nightmarishly with the, with the prophecies of the, of, the, uh, of the Old and New Testament. Yeah. And, well, and, go ahead. Well, um, yeah, and I'm just saying that, it, and it's connecting with things that didn't quite make sense. You know, yeah. we all have these things where, uh, you know, we we believe it because it's just part of our thing, and that's what we do, and we're we're told that and it makes sense to us a little bit, so we just do it, and we we learn it and we prepare ourselves. But now here is, in my mind, the reason why, you know, God does not tell us things. Just because he's not a cosmic police officer, exactly. He's, he's not, not a cosmic that. pre-crime preventative. Exactly. <laughs> Everything <laughs> he does is literally for our own good, whether we cannot, we don't understand it or not at the time. Well, now it's all starting to make sense in my mind. Do not take the mark of the beast. Why? Not because I won't be able to go to Seven Eleven buy a Slurpee, but because it will literally be implanted in my head, capture my my memories eventually transfer be able to transfer my soul into a computer and i will be seeking death and i will not find it yeah and also you know passages of jesus talking about you know if he doesn't put an end to this no flesh shall survive it just puts a whole new spin on no flesh shall survive you know Right, because before you know, there has been commentary about like, oh, there's just going to be so much war and so much, you know, whatever. But this is a whole new level of like, okay, maybe really, <laughs> no flesh shall survive. Survive really means like, really like no flesh because everyone's yeah. in a computer. Exactly <laughs> by our by our own making by our own we decision. Are, we are sloughing off this this goo that God put us in. We are putting ourselves into these pristine machines that we believe are the future of our species when really we are just killing our species. Yeah. If you think about it. Well, I have a couple more here and uh, right. actually three more and it just gets more and more interesting. And this one is, uh, if you've studied tech, uh, transhumanism at all, uh, you will know the name Nick Bostrom. He was one of the speakers there. Um, he is a PhD professor of Oxford University, and he's the co-founder of the World Transhumanist Association. And uh, I know Tom Horn has done extensive work kind of documenting some of the stuff he's said. But uh, th- this, I mean, it ties into what we just talked about a little bit, but um, th- this is just so blatantly obvious of <laughs> where this guy's headed, and, and at least what he sees is coming in the near future. Um, So let me quote quote him here. He says, Now, one concept that is useful, I think, in thinking about long-term futures for humanities, the notion of the single tongue, which should be a world order, where at the highest level of organization, there is only one decision-making entity. 
Now, that decision-making entity could be any of a wide range of certain structures. It could be a world democratic government. It could be a dictator. It could be a super intelligent machine. It could be some, perhaps even a universal moral code that had provisions for its law enforcement. But both good and bad structures, structures could count as a single tongue. But the unifying feature would be that they all have the ability to solve global coordination problems. For example, to avoid arms races or to solve these global common problems like when we have different countries uh, spearing out pollutants into the atmosphere or overfishing the oceans. Now all these kinds of coordinate, coordination problems that arise from the lack of a single decision-making entity on top. So... Yeah. Basically, he's just saying, going back to Babel. Yeah, going back to Babel. You know, one world government. It's going to solve our problems. <laughs> but, but not only that, one language. One language. Yeah. And this is another thing that we mentioned in another episode. Was I mean, just this whole concept of a one world government, the whole concept of Babel, the whole concept of this entire thing is just so is the antithesis of what. I see is the value in the human race, at least at, at some level, yeah. you know, because at some level, I mean, okay, Babel was a bad thing, right? Okay, Babel was man who had decided that they had enough of God, and now we come together, and now we are, and, and they, this happened. Just naturally, at the beginning of the human race, we are all kind of in the same place. Right. And we all spoke the same language because that's just where we were. We all did that. And then, um, you know, through <laughs> making some poor decisions and uh, picking some fights that we couldn't quite handle, you know, that's where we are dispersed and the other languages came about. And that's sort of where this whole tapestry of the human race started. Well, now there's this whole push to get back to Babel or Babylon. Um, and it's just, it's just another thing that makes me uncomfortable because, you know, a one world language, I get it. I mean, we basically already sort of operate as English as the one world language uh, when it comes to business and when it comes to, you know, right. uh, all sorts of media. And it's already, it's sort of already there. And when this started to happen, people were saying the same thing. But, but now when it all seems so tangible and these, these deadlines or these um, projections that these guys are putting on all of this stuff is no longer just in the future there will be a one world government. Right. You know, like it was in the 50s and the 60s and 70s. I mean, and the 80s with uh, George Bush Sr. They're all talking about, you know, the one world government will come. Well, now we have people actually putting dates on this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And with the one world language thing, I mean, uh, Microsoft just came out with a universal translator. Uh, basically, you speak into something, the machine or whatever, or microphone, and it spits out in your voice, apparently, is, is what it's oh. claiming to do, uh, a different language. <laughs> so, I mean, you know, obviously technology uh, taking precedence with this kind of stuff, again, is... 
Uh, absolutely. Is you know, it, it's it's just a very interesting topic to be looking into, and, and as far as I'm concerned, it's. <laughs> you know what's you know what's funny is this. Uh, it reminds me of um, the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Yeah. And um, there was a little fish that existed in the universe. And what happens, if I remember correctly, if, if, if I'm not remembering this correctly, somebody please correct me in the comments below. They would put the fish and it would wriggle into your ear. And then when that, that fish would live in your ear and then whatever language would come into your head or come into your ears, the fish would translate it for you. And so you could understand any language in the universe. Now, what's, what I think is funny and ironic is that in the book, um, this fish was the, the number one, it was the evidence that God did exist. This was the why <laughs> this was the evidence as to why God existed because there is no scientific explanation or reason for this fish to exist and it you know it's and I just thought that was a, a funny comparison when you start thinking about um everybody returning to a one world language and having these translators and things like that. So are you so. saying we're going to have a fish jump in our ear? And That's, that's exactly what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> I'm saying be ready for it. Be ready for the fish. 2013 <laughs> little fish in your ear. Fish epidemic. Uh, okay. We're getting tired, but uh, <laughs> it's been a long day. Um, okay. So let, let's move on here. There's a couple more here. And uh, Alexander Penoff astrophysicist, author of Snook's Panoff Curve, which describes the singularity. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, he, he basically, I mean, when I read this little portion here, I, I mean, just red lights went off and I'm like, Antichrist, Antichrist, Antichrist. You know? <laughs> this, that's just what I got from it. But right, I'm right. going to read this quote here. He says, as a scientist and astrophysicist, I'm worried primarily about the future of science. This is what we can say about the future of science in the post-singularity uh, stage. First, we can make a few general philosophical propositions. Any progressive phenomenon in evolution cannot be progressive forever, as leaders in evolution replace each other. In this sense, science is a typical progressive phenomenon. It arose in response to certain crises and served to overcome them. So science, in this quality, as the basis of the formation of the vector of the development of human civilization cannot lead forever. From this, it follows that a change in leadership will take place, and another leader must come to replace science, a leader about which we do not yet know anything about. Oh my gosh. And I read that, and I'm like, are you kidding me? (laughs) This guy is just totally setting up this leader. (laughs) The, the, The language is just so... It, it almost echoes some of these esoteric writers, which is what I found very interesting because it, you know, and we've mentioned the names before and I think this, these names will come up again. Helena Blavatsky, you know, Manly P. Hall, uh, Albert Pike, these, uh, um, Alice Bailey, these, uh, occult writers who had, um, you know, spirits kind of channel whatever information to them to write stuff. They have, kind of similar types of language, like the way they speak right. about this coming leader or this coming um, deity or this ascended master that's going to come, whatever whatever language they use, it's very similar. And that's what yeah. alarmed me about this. Well, here's what I find very interesting about this. And it's, 
it's just weird <clears throat> to, to sort of observe the different levels that are happening simultaneously. So on one hand, we have the people pushing for a technocratic society, a, a society literally ruled by science. Yes. And it's something that people have fantasized about for years, you know, since, this since the thirties. Exactly. And, and this, this sort of, you know, dominance of, you know, logic and reason, which don't get me wrong, logic and reason are wonderful things. Yes. I use them every day. Um, but, but this, this longing for science to rule, um, because science will be our savior and science will make everything right. And science will unite us as human beings and science will do this. And then this guy comes along and says, science will be that, but then we must have this mystery leader come across <laughs> and, and so you listen to this and you're like, okay. Are I don't are you the Antichrist? I don't what what like is do these people have have they ever heard of the concept of the Antichrist? <laughs> I don't know, but it would be very interesting to have conversations with some of these people. Oh, from, absolutely, uh, from a biblical perspective. But uh, right, well, well, that's exactly my point. Is um, shoot, I mean, really, I, I'm getting all worked up again. <laughs> <laughs> it really is just so self-evident. I don't need to scream it at you guys, so I apologize for that. Well, really, but you're just screaming it at me. So I am. I'm but, just kidding. You know, you know, just like the guy in the uh, the conference, you, I just need to keep in mind that other people will be listening to this, and it's not just you. <laughs> so I know. Um, well, let me read a, a quote from, um, and I had this prepared. Uh, this is. Um, uh, from a pamphlet called Technocracy in Plain Terms. And it was actually uh, published by Technocracy Incorporated in 1939. Okay, so this is this is a long time ago. 80, 80 years. Technocracy Incorporated in 1939? Is that what you 39, yeah. This is, uh, this is uh, the first decade or so when technocracy was big hit in the United States. So, And uh, it's just a very short quote here. It says, um, the word itself, technocracy, signifies a new purely scientific form of social management which is based solely on scientific principles and incontrovertible scientific facts. Technocracy is the application of science to the social order. So that that's kind of the overview. I mean, it's a very, right. you know, concise way of looking at what technocracy is. Right. And um, you know, it's it's not socialism, it's not communism, it's it's something else, but it's got the same kind of Right. effect of like everyone kind of falls under this, you know, mandate right. and, you know, you, well, everyone gets the same amount of food and, you know. Right. Well, something that I find interesting and I just thought about this, I didn't think about it before, um, is this guy, I, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that this man is a prophet. That is not what I'm saying. But I'm what I am saying is what he is, what he is saying is sort of prophetic in the way that it kind of gives us um, a timeline. Yeah, like a roadmap. A roadmap, you know. Signpost. And, and don't, yeah, don't get me wrong. Um, you know, I don't know, we don't know the hour, we don't know the day, yeah. but we know the time. And what this guy is saying is, first, there will be technocracy. Right. Which is something we all see. I mean, that's our whole point is we technocracy is coming. 
It's already kind of here. But yeah. yeah, one world government is here. You know, that sort of stuff. But then he says, then comes one leader of which we have no idea. <laughs> you know? And it's going to replace science. And, and you know, all those, all, science. all those verses in the Bible about, you know, uh, this one that, that performs, uh, you know, counterfeit signs and miracles and wonders and all this stuff. I mean, what can there be that is uh, that portrays wonders and all these miracles and stuff, unless it like defies science to the core? Right. You right. know what I mean? If if science gets to a point where it is just so, uh, you know, they they uh, they think they understand everything, and then right. somebody comes in and just has control over it, what are people going to think about that? They're obviously going to believe that this person has some kind of uh, godly or supernatural power. And, right. and so it, it just plays into all of those verses that um, we see in scripture. And, and I just, I, you know, I don't know if there's that many people making the connection of <laughs> the global future 2045 Congress and the Bible, but it, it, it's there, right. you know, it's, it's, it's there, there. And that's why we're here and talking about it. But um, let me, uh, let me jump into this last quote here. Uh, so this is a uh, Barry Rod, Rodrigue or Rodrigue. He's the professor at the University of Southern Maine, co-chairman of the Global Future 2045. And he's so we have an American now. Yeah. And he okay. wrote uh what's called the Manifesto for a New Millennium, a working agenda for the Anthropocene. Uh A-N-T-H-R-O-P-O-C-E-N-E. -E. And I had to look up what that word means. And uh Wikipedia basically defined it as um uh, in a recent, uh, the anthropomorph anthropocene is a recent and informal geologic. <laughs> there you go. All right. Yeah. Anthropocene. Anthropocene. Okay. There you go. Uh, uh, is a recent and informal geologic chronological term that serves to mark the evidence and extent of human activities that have had a significant global impact on the Earth's ecosystem. So that's what that is. And um, so anyway, he uh, wrote this manifesto for a new millennium. And in his speech, he talks about, um, well, let me just quote him. Uh, he says, quote, there needs to be global mechanisms for review and regulation. Uh, a significant danger lies in wildcat and irresponsible implementation of technology and other forms of innovation without understanding the consequences right. or the ignoring of those consequences in order to obtain higher financial profits. This is especially true given the potential, potentially devastating and rapid nature of genetic engineering and nanotechnology. Therefore, in tandem with technological innovation, we need innovation of social mechanisms to manage them. And so far, he's, he's bright. I mean, he understands that there are risks involved with you know we can't just blindly start <laughs> doing genetic engineering and nanotechnology and all this stuff right it's, it's got to be mandated to some degree which is right. again it might just play right into the hands of a new world order but um it goes on here uh this leaves the only chance for such a paradigm shift in the hands of those uh who can assemble ideas for renovation and effectively disseminate them on a global scale most quickly and most deeply. It requires global cooperation of scholars and scientists, business and civic leaders, citizens and workers, the poorest outcasts and the wealthiest elites. Yeah, that's going to happen. Philosophers and spiritual leaders, community activists, and many others. 
Therefore, a new partnership is required. And, you know, again, that just echoes technocracy right there. You know, a lot of the, uh, other than the poorest outcasts, um, you know, these scientists and scholars working together to uh, formulate a social plan. So what what exactly is he going for here? Oh, let me, let, here's the kicker. Okay, here's, okay. A, here's a punch. All right. How do we make this happen? What is the process we must follow? Uh, and he kind of comments, uh, we have, We've had brilliant ideas and innovations presented at the Moscow Congress of Global Futures 2045. These innovations are very exciting and very important, but the big question is, how do we link them? How do we promote them? How do we popularize them in such a fashion that we create a new world consciousness, a new world civilization, in what my friend David Hook calls global enlightenment? There it is. There it is. So there it is. he is basically saying we need to change the, you know, we, we need to have a, a system that is going to inundate the public into accepting this paradigm shift, uh, what he calls a new world consciousness, a new world civilization, right. global enlightenment. It, it, it yeah. just, I, I just, I can't get over the fact that they have these good points about like what, you know, these are scientific-minded people, and then they use words that are the same words that are used by these esoteric authors. It just—I don't know—it just blows my mind. Right? Yeah, it, it makes an obvious connection between um, uh, this—you uh, know—these these these scientists and these exactly these these es- esoteric teachings. Yeah. Um, it it definitely shows that they are connected in the whole scheme. What I do also think is interesting is. You know, it, these things are sound great. I mean, he's talking about saving the earth, you know, saving everybody, including the poor, you know, poor man with the rich man, all deciding what needs to happen. Right. Um, and so it sort of beckons this utopian um, outlook. But at the same time, it's it's almost like he's backhandedly talking about tricking people (laughs) you know what i mean it's it's hard because you listen to his words and you know you they sound good but then suddenly it's not about that anymore suddenly it's about this one consciousness and it's about um i mean it's it's just demonstrably obvious that the poor man cannot sit besides you know the 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 world global elite and make decisions with them. That's just like, not going to happen. <laughs> it's just it just makes no sense. I mean, it, it's it's like a nice thing to say, yeah. I guess. You know, in in idea, but he is a smart guy. Yeah. You know, he knows that that's not the case. Yeah. And and I do think that <laughs> that the one of the most interesting things about this is you know these are scientists who are you know, not religious theological guys. They're not, they're obviously tuned into this new age um, push for, you know, one world consciousness and this, this whole, this whole thing. So, yeah, you know, you just don't know who you can trust anymore, I guess. Yeah. I think if anything, this is just a clear indication that this whole idea of a new world order and globalization is not, just a political agenda anymore. It is oh, right. a technological exactly. scientific uh, thing. And 
it, it's just converging. It's just accelerating. It's it's just consuming all sectors. And I'm, obviously, a lot of people have looked at the political side of things. It, it's people have done that for you know the last twenty years now, and in, in, you know a lot this last ten years, right? With the internet, um, but now we're seeing it happen in the scientific technological realm. We know it's happening slowly but surely in the religious realm. In when you look at ecum, ecumenical movements, when you look at the the call for, uh, you know, like a global religion, uh, right. there, there hasn't been anything deliberate, but you know, you see these tolerance stickers and stuff like that that quite obviously are pushing for uh, a compromise in you know people's faiths to merge and to get along and all this stuff, which is very interesting. It's another rabbit trail that you know we won't go down right now but right it, it's just converging everything is coming together and uh uh it's all in the name of peace you know it's all kind of uh um you know, it's it's all under the guise of like it's going to better us it's going to make us progress and things like that and 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 let's make it clear we are not saying that because it comes under the guise of peace. We're not against peace. Right. We're not. <laughs> exactly. We're not. We're not saying like yeah, we got to clarify uh, that because peace. Get- this is this is a bunch of bull hockey. You know that's not where this comes from. The reason um, that the guise of peace is so important is because it was written thousands of years ago. Yeah. That, and that's like, how it was going to work. Exactly. And and this is a prime example here. I'm going to read from Daniel, uh, Daniel 8.23 and 8.25, and I'll break down the verse to help kind of understand what's going on here. So Daniel 8.23 says, in the latter period of their rule, when transgressors have run their course, a king will rise, insolent and skilled in intrigue. So let me break down some of those words for you. Um, the word there for insolent. Uh, so this king is going to rise. He's going to have uh, insolent and skilled in intrigue. Insolent is the Hebrew word as, az, which means strong, and uh, it's derived from the word azaz, which means prevail. So he's going to be this kind of strong character person. Uh, skilled uh, is the Hebrew word chada, which means riddle or enigma. He's going to have. Um, you know, he's going to be mysterious. He's going to, yeah, he's going to have this, uh, 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 hold on. Did I, did I say this wrong? Yeah. In, did I say intrigue? I'm really tired. Sorry. <laughs> this is very late. Uh, intrigue is, did I say intrigue? Okay. Never mind. Let me go back up, back up here. Insolent as, which means strong, uh, skilled is bin. Sorry. I, this is where I messed up. Skilled is the Hebrew word bin, bin, B-I-N, which means to understand. So he's going to be strong, and he's going to understand uh, where understand intrigue, which is chada, which means riddle or enigma. Okay, so this, this king is going to be strong, and he's going to understand the riddles, the enigmas, the world's mysteries, the things of this universe that are not understood. And this plays right into the hands of what that guy said earlier about this ruler taking over science. Right. When you really think about it, you know, so um, I found that interesting. And so in Daniel 8.25... He'll be able to come in and answer the questions that science still isn't able to answer. Exactly, exactly. It's going to replace science. <laughs> it's an right. unknown leader. Um, and then Daniel 8.25 says, And through his policy also he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart and by peace shall destroy many. 
And the word policy there is sekel, S-E-K-E-L, which means insight, shrewdness, intelligence, wisdom. And so through his intelligence, his wisdom, um, he's going to cause craft. The word craft just means deceit, um, to prosper in his hand. And by peace, shalva, which means at, at ease or to prosper uh, or prosperity, he's going to destroy many. So wow. uh, he's going to actually come in and he, through his insight, his wisdom, his intelligence, just this crafty person, he is going to deceive um, and use peace as the ultimate point of, uh, uh, of his destruction of people. Right. And that's why we're kind of saying, you know, what's going on with all this talk about not just the global government, but just, you know, leaders coming in, taking over. It, it just seems like it echoes what, what these people in the transhumanist world uh, community are talking about just seems to echo these things a little bit too much for me. And it's, that's why we just want to get it out there and just say, Hey, you know what? Proceed with caution. Um, you know, really think things through, which obviously it's kind of too late to do that. I think they're moving forward with their plan, but then with, for, for each one of us individually, we can do things to prepare spiritually, to get right with God and all these other things that, um, ultimately, you know, science is not going to save us, (laughs) you know, as much as people rely on science and technology and stuff like that, it's not going to save humanity in, in the full scope of saving and perfection that we desire in our human hearts. You know, we, we kind of desire this because I think each one of us, and even these people who are transhumanists understand that there is this lack, there is this flaw in character and humanity, and they're trying to solve it through technology and science. And, you know, it's just really sad almost from this perspective of, it seems like there's been an answer for 2000 years. Right. Right. So exactly. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So I think, uh, we've rambled on for quite a (laughs) while here. So if you're still around, kudos to you because, uh, that was a, that was an agenda there. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, yeah. Thanks again, guys, for sticking around. Um, again, if you have any comments or questions or anything, uh, please, uh, go down to the comment section, do it, send us an email, go to our, uh, contact tab, uh, let us know what you think. We love to hear from you. Um, make sure to go to Twitter. Follow us at, can- at Canary Cry Radio. Uh, search us on Facebook, Canary Cry Radio. Like our fan page. That would be great. Um, and yeah. Thanks yeah, again and for Email us, canarycryradio at gmail.com. You can email us there. and um, Good old email. Yeah. Sure, it's tracked by now. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks again for tuning in, guys. All and right. uh, make sure to check back for, uh, for, for more episodes. And make sure to check the show notes. Check out the articles. And, uh, and stay tuned it. for guests because we will probably have a guest in the next uh, few episodes here. Guests, 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 guests. Have a good one. 